You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 137. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be meeting James Rosone, who is an Amazon Top 100 bestselling author of the Red Storm series, the World War III military thriller series, among other series. He's an Iraq War veteran who has served three and a half years in a combat zone as a military interrogator and contractor. He writes his books with his wife, Miranda Watson, and their latest book is The Monroe Doctrine, Volume 1, which was published on January 20th of this year. The second volume will be published March 30th and is available for pre-order right now. I enjoyed talking to James about his writing process, what it's like working with your spouse, how they manage their prolific output that publishes several novels a year, and a lot more. So stay tuned for that uh, interview coming up here in just a moment. But first, a reminder to visit thrillingreads.com forward slash links to rate and or review this podcast. You'll also find links to my author website, my Thrilling Reads mailing list, where you can access special deals and discounts on great books in the thriller, mystery, crime fiction genres, and a lot more. So check out thrillingreads.com forward slash links. And if you're a writer, uh, you've heard me talk a lot about Masterclass. I love that site. They offer some amazing classes uh, for all types of writers, but especially for thriller, uh, crime fiction writers. Uh, you can learn from uh, Walter Mosley, David Baldacci, Dan Brown, and James Patterson. And you'll even be able to download James Patterson's outline for his best-selling novel, Honeymoon, to see how it's done. And I've talked about this before, and uh, but I decided to put together a video case study where I show you how James Patterson's masterclass on outlining has really helped me. Um, so if you want to take a look at that, uh, you can check it out at thrillingreads.com forward slash outline video, all one word, thrillingreads.com outline video. All right, here's my interview with James Rosone. How are you doing this morning, James? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I, I'm doing good. I guess, I guess it's afternoon for you in Florida. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did I butcher your last name? Is it Rosone? Yep, Rosone. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah. So for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to become an author and, and to actually write that first book? Sure. So my background, I spent uh, 10 years in the military and then another eight years as a DOD contractor and then a couple years in the private sector. Uh, but I've always had a love for reading. Um, I was an avid reader. You know, usually would read you know, three to five books a month. Um, sometimes more depended on, a, on my schedule. Uh, but, you know, it got to a point where I, was, I wasn't finding the kind of books I want to read. So I decided, you know, what, why don't I write these books? Um, you know, I, I did my graduate studies at Oxford. So we had to do a lot of writing for, you know, your dissertation and things like that. And, and I decided, you know what, I can, I can write and just started writing the books based on the experiences I had in the military. Well, that's awesome. So, yeah, they, they always say you write what you know, right? <laughs> write what you know and know what you write. Exactly. <laughs> And so for those who aren't familiar with your books, can you describe your writing style? Uh, what can a reader expect from your books? Um, sure. So we do have a pretty distinct writer's style in what we create. Uh, you know, so first off, we're one of the few authors in this genre that actually doesn't use profanity or sexual content in our books. That's uh, kind of a conscious decision that we've made to do that because I think uh, it opens the aperture of who can read your books uh, to a much wider audience and uh, people tend to like that. Um, you know, and, and we, when we write military thrillers, I like to show it from, from three specific points of view. So one is the, the grunt level guy, who, you know, soldier on the ground has to go and implement the action. 
the next is usually the commander level where they're deciding what to do and how to do it. And then the third level is usually at that um, 30,000 foot strategic level of, okay, X is happening, so how do we counter it with Y? Uh, and, I, and I like being able to showcase that because a lot of authors write books and it's from one POV or one level. And you're always left wondering, well, what's going on over here? How did this happen? How did they move this? And I've always found that as a, an annoyance, I guess, on my part as a, re, as a reader. And I figure, well, I'll solve that with my own books and I'll just, that's what I'll fill in. That's what I'll put in. I'll write like that. Oh, yeah. You seem to really have hit a chord too because you've, uh, your books are so successful. Uh, you sold like hundreds of thousands of copies of, of, right. of your books at Amazon, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and we've we've made the bestseller list. Uh, you know, hit number one and made bestseller in um, let's see, in Germany, Germany, Australia, the UK, India, um, you know, a number of different countries. Many times, usually, each of our releases will usually hit number one in those those regions for a couple of days to a week, sometimes a month. What I also found fascinating when I was uh, uh, when I first came through your work is you uh, you co-write your books with uh, Miranda Watson, who's your wife, correct? Is that right? Yeah, we're a husband husband wife writing duo, and so it's so cool. Together. Yeah, the whole business is done together like that. So how's the workload divvied up for a team for uh, when you guys are working? Yeah, so I handle the actual creation of the book itself. So I'll write about 95 percent of the book. And then I also handle the marketing. And so my wife, um, she does the editing and conceptual developing a little bit, making sure that the characters are developed out, that everything flows together. And then she does a fair bit of editing, but then she's also uh, the liaison, so to speak, between us and our professional editor. So we have a professional editing firm that we work with. Uh, they do a lot of New York Times uh, off best-selling authors that they work with. And... Um, when they come back with the changes or suggestions, then my wife is the one who handles dealing with all that and fixing that. So it is very much an assembly line process. I write the book, it'll take me six to seven weeks to write a 550 page book. I write it, I hand it off to her, and then I start writing the next one. Then when I'm done with that, I hand it off to her and I just keep going. And usually I'm about two or three books ahead of her. You know, when book one comes out, I'll usually be on book three or book four. And it's very much an assembly line process like that. And having a team where we work like this uh, allows us to, to maintain a, a pretty robust 90-day schedule of, of books constantly coming out. Oh, yeah, that is awesome. Because, yeah, that's so important uh, nowadays, uh, especially if you're uh, publishing your books independently, is you, the readers really want books out at a, lot, at a quick pace. <laughs> they do. And what we've seen over, you know, four-plus years of doing this now is, there really is a bit of a clip. So when a book comes out, you've got about 45 days where you're going to make pretty solid, strong sales. And then from day 45 to usually day 65, 70 is when you start to see the decline. And then from 70 to 90 is when you're starting to panic. But if you plan it well, you have your pre-order up, you're racking up the pre-orders at this point. Um, then when the next book land you know launches you launch with 2000 or so immediate sales at full price uh, and then you carry the next 45 days is just you know really high sales and then it kind of peters back down and initially that 
that interim period of like the last 30 days, uh, you know, where the sales would get kind of scary, that was a lot harder to handle and deal with when we only had seven, eight or nine books out. But when you've got 22 books out, um, you tend to ride those waves a lot better. You know, so now instead of it being lower, you know, you're, you're able to you're able to cushion that a little bit better because you have so many other books to rely on. Yeah, fascinating. So, yeah, so the, the important part of then, oh, of course, of, of writing the books that people want to read and great stories like you guys, like you write, but uh, is then just to keep to keep it going, just to keep the momentum going versus the old model, which is like one, one book a year, maybe. <laughs> That's not sustainable, you know. I mean, maybe this yeah. is a bad pub if you're being paid, you know a quarter million dollars, a half a million dollars to write one book. <laughs> but, you know, that's not really the, the mindset for an in, for a self-published author. You know, it's all about re- building up your readership and getting uh, acquiring more readers. You know, when you have 15,000 readers who will buy everything you publish, you can survive in, in, on a, and make a very good, solid six-figure income off of that kind of a readership base. And so the whole goal of it is to just continue to grow and build your audience and, and let your audience continue to expand and get larger. So can you tell us about your, uh, your, your upcoming release? It's uh, the Monroe, Do- uh, Monroe Doctrine Volume 1. So this is a new series? This is a brand new series. Um, so we finished our last series, the Falling Empires uh, series that ended in uh, May of this last year. Uh, we, we put up the pre-order to get this going. Uh, and, and then we had a sci-fi series that we ran for three, three books over the fall uh, while we worked on creating this series and getting this series ready to roll. Um, And so what I kind of look at is, you know, future conflicts, where are they? How will they be fought? How will they take place? So with the Monroe Doctrine, what we're really looking at is is how the the Chinese are gonna be leveraging their Belt and Road Initiative to move into um, the US's sphere of influence, which is the Americas. So looking to move into Central America and South America with their Belt and Road Initiative. And that really comes into a direct confrontation with the U.S.'s stated Monroe policy that no foreign, one, no foreign militaries can establish uh, bases in our sphere of influence and then also uh, take uh, economic control of a lot of these countries, which when the Chinese come in with the Belt and Road Initiative, they'll build a brand new port for say, uh, Croatia over, over and split Croatia. But when they do that, they're gonna take 51% ownership of that port. And then when they build a new rail line connecting split into uh, the rest of Europe, they're gonna take a 51% ownership stake in there. Well, when they have that kind of a stake, they can dictate policy, the nation's policy because they can just shut things down too. And that's kind of a, a bit of a challenge and a problem. So the U.S. wants to prevent that kind of activity from happening, taking place in our our sphere. Cool. So yeah, so that's that's what's really cool about your books too. That you you actually um, you address some of the topics that are actually going on in the world. Um, I remember right. your rigged your rigged uh, book uh, that I read it a couple of years uh, last year, I believe. But anyway, so, so yes. that does that interests you guys? Is it something uh, uh, that interests you to write about? Well, we like to write about, you know, relevant current things that are happening going on because it makes the books more real um, when you're able to do that. We're very, uh, we're very much in incorporating cutting edge technology and things that go on uh, in warfare and how it's going to be fought. So in Monroe Doctrine, what we have is uh, we also have a very heavy emphasis on artificial intelligence and machine learning. So the Chinese are in reality about, they're probably about a decade ahead of the United States and the rest of the West when it comes to machine learning and, and, and AI. 
So what if they developed a machine that could do predictive behavioral analysis to determine how an adversary would respond if their military did X, Y, or Z? If they knew with a certainty how the U.S. would respond, then it would embolden them to make those kinds of moves. And when their nation is leveraging a tool like that, it's essentially saying, okay, we can wage war now because this machine can tell us exactly how to wage this war properly to win every time. Our people are now tools to just affect the moves that the machine is telling them to make and to do. So we incorporate a lot of AI on the Chinese part and then on the US side, we're obviously including the, the next generation squad rifle that's being fit, you know, they're phased out the M4s for the new rifles. So we get the 6.8 millimeter rifles for the infantry guys. We have America's sixth generation stealth fighter, uh, it's the Archangel, that's gonna be called, that's gonna, that's gonna be coming into play, you know, with this hypersonic uh, capability, direct energy weapons, kinetic uh, kill weapons that it's gonna be using. So we, we integrate in a lot of technology uh, that is very near term uh, into the military. So you're getting to see what the future of a war is actually going to be fought, like how it's going to be fought, what it's going to be like to have to deal with drone swarm technologies. How is that 19-year-old soldier going to have to overcome, you know, a swarm of uh, killer drones that are being flown at his at his platoon? How do they deal with that? And you know, that's something that we're probably going to see in reality in the next 10 years. But now you're going to get to read about it now and kind of get a, a, a picture of what could take place. Kind of reminds me of the uh, that movie, The Terminator, when that came out in '84, when they was playing the when they showed the future with the yeah the, the machines and the Royal Terminators. Yeah, I, know. I know. I remember seeing that. I was like, "Wow, that looks so cool!" <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now I get to write books about it, so it's even better. Yeah, yeah. So now, so your your background is, is is so fascinating. Like you, um, you 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 spent time in Iraq uh, during the war. Um, you were doing an interrogator, I believe, and a contractor. Can you tell us about that and how that's influenced your writing? And if that, if that makes, if that, if your experiences from that make it into your books? Oh yeah, absolutely. So when I was in the air force, I was working as a linguist debriefer, which is a kinder, gentler way of saying we were interrogators. So when we would capture, um, you know, tier one Al Qaeda prisoners, his top 10 Al Qaeda prisoners, they get, they get nabbed. Um, that's who you talk to. I go and spend six hours with, you know, an Al Qaeda leader who is in charge of, you know, Diyala province or out, out in the Western provinces and try to find out what's their end game, what's their strategy, who else working with them, where are the other cells, how are they gaining their finances? Uh, you know, you had to figure out how do I convince an uncooperative person to want to cooperate and talk? And it really involved a lot of negotiations and a lot of manipulating uh, to get what you need. Um, there had to be a lot of give and take. And these guys weren't idiots. I mean, I would say half my prisoners had masters and PhDs. More than half of them spoke fluent English. Um, they, they, were, they weren't idiots. They really did have a, a sense of what they were doing and, and how they were doing it. Uh, so it was a very intellectually challenging job to work and do. And I like to be able to place that into the books um, when we're dealing with a terrorist leader or different organizations. You know, we can put some of that experience in there. Also, when you write these different combat scenes, you know, like I remember sitting in my sitting in my office when a 240 millimeter rocket landed a couple hundred meters away from our building and shook the heck out of it. Like the explosion happens, and for a split second, you can see the dust just bounce off of the table 
before you know the before the ceiling tiles imploded you know you can feel that concussion um you know as a contractor driving around those up armored suburban vehicles with uh triple canopy and blackwater you know you know what you can feel what it's like when you have bullets ricocheting off your armored windows that's a terrifying feeling and when you can take those feelings and put that into your writing it just makes it so much more real and that's what a lot of veterans uh, say to us all the time when they read our books they're like oh my god this literally brought me right back to the situation when i was over there myself and i think readers like that because it's incredibly authentic yeah i think that's what's so cool uh, recently like uh, like you and uh, other uh, writers that have that have interviewed that write military type thrillers they're they all have uh, a lot of experience in the military in combat so it really makes it for some for the reader like myself who hasn't been in combat it makes it really a a, a fascinating and thrilling read <laughs> so yeah well you know i think one of the other keys to success we've had is we we really really integrate our readers into our writing so, for instance, when I have a new book that I'm working on, like right now with the Monroe Doctrine, I have 20 beta readers that I'm working on with this. So these guys work in the Pentagon. They work in different positions. Um, they, they have all kinds of expertise that I don't necessarily have. So I leverage their expertise in these different fields. You know, I served in the Army for, for six years and then the Air Force for four years. So I understand those components and branches pretty well. But I don't understand the Navy. So I've got a couple guys, like I got a chief master, petty, chief, petty officer, who is helping me write, write some of the naval scenes. I've got a submarine officer who's helping me write a few of those scenes. Um, you know, I've got a forest recon guy who's helping me with some of those. I've got an SF guy for another one, uh, a steel for a different position. So these guys are actually going in there and helping me craft the individual scenes to make them very real when it comes to the terminology and how things would play out. And then you take those recommendations, you integrate it into the whole book, and next thing you know, you've got this just incredible, you know, experience that you created for the reader. And you find the the beta readers through your readers, through your is that how you came yep. across? So yeah. through all, all our back matter of our books, we encourage people to contact us through our Facebook groups, and then we have private reader groups uh, that people can join. You know, I've got a little over three hundred and eighty people in, in one of them, I think, right now. And when it comes time to you know put out for the beta readers we just say okay if you want to be part of it this time around it's not a requirement if you want to be part of it this time around you got you know send us a dm and uh, they let us know and we add them to the list and then the document goes out in a very specific format um and then we uh give them a timeline and they they, they read it over check it out and send us their comments back and then uh, when the book's released uh they post the reviews you know obviously prayer amazon guides you can't tell them how to review but at the end of the day, I just, you know, we just want an honest review. Let us know what you think and tell the readers whether, what they, what they should expect. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a great system you got set up too. Cause that's uh it's good that you said you had like the timeline. Cause that's what I found. I had troubles when I was using betas was like, I've never heard your <laughs> back from them. So that's good that you have a, a structured uh, uh, flow going. <laughs> and honestly, if they're not going to fulfill the timeline, then you just annotate it. And you figure out, you know, which are the ones that are steady, reliable, dependable ones you can count on. And the ones that are not, you just decide, you know, okay, am I just going to send this to you as an event, you know, for a review of the book? Or are you actually going to help me out, you know, and you kind of figure mm -hmm. those out. Yeah. And so I was kind of curious now with everything that's going on uh, in in 2020 and 2020, were you, uh, did the pandemic change anything with your writing process or your workflow? 
Oh, significantly. So I have three kids. I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a one-year-old. Oh. The <laughs> pandemic was rough, to say the least, because we suddenly, our daughter was in school, and then in March, she wasn't. And uh, our son was in school, and suddenly he wasn't. You know, our son has some special needs, too. So his school, his Montessori school really helps him with a lot of that. Um, and then, you know, when his structure is removed, that's when he has a little bit more issues. So it was very, very challenging because we didn't have that childcare uh, in, in school system like that for six weeks. And then we had eventually just had to homeschool my daughter and my son, you know, wasn't able to go back to his school until the fall, which is just brutal. So it, it really impacted us a lot. It put us behind schedule tremendously. We actually had to push the release of Monroe Doctrine back 60 full days because of that. Um, so right now we're in the process of still kind of getting ourselves caught back up again. And I think as long as they don't shut down schools again on us and keep things going, we should be, we should be fine. That's, that's amazing how this, uh, has impacted us in the whole world. It's just been a, a surreal. Like, uh, I've got a friend of mine from college, you know, she runs a, she, she owns and runs a small thrift store up in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And, you know, it really hurt her bad too, because, you know, she, she's a newly single mom with three kids and you know, her husband works for the city. And so he would help out when he could. Uh, but you know, she had to have the three kids working at the thrift shop with her because, you know, there wasn't school for her to have the kids in there. Um, and so that was quite challenging for her to manage this thrift shop and have her three kids there because she couldn't leave them at home um, and they couldn't go to school. So it's, it's quite a unique challenge that it placed everyone in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully things get better this year. So uh, fingers crossed. We, sh we shall see. <laughs> um, so you said you were a, you were a, a big reader um, before you became a, a, an author. Were you a fan of the of thrillers and and, and that type of genre? Um, yes and no. I mean, I read a lot of different types of books. So I read. Um, I really, I was really big into reading a lot of Harry Turtledove books. He writes alternate history books. He's a Canadian author, or Canadian, Australian author. I really liked a lot of his his different take on history and books and how things could have turned out slightly different. So I'd read a lot of his. I'd read a lot of alternate World War II books. Um, I, obviously, I read a fair bit of Tom Clancy's uh, style of books and, and what he wrote. Um, Harold Coyle was another one of my favorite authors I used to read. And then I kind of started, I started to discover the independent authors probably in 2014, 2015. Um, and mostly actually is because of price. Cause I was looking at, it, I was like paying $15 for an ebook from a trad pub. And I was like, I could get a, a self-published author for, you know, three and five bucks. So I can get, you know, two or three times as many books. Um, and I started reading a lot of different authors that way. And it really opened my mind, my eyes to the whole process because I realized, well, heck, man, these guys could write these books and self-publish, and why can't I? And that's when I said, I'm going to get into this myself and start doing it. And it's kind of been off to the races ever since then because for me, I got into writing as PTSD therapy. My counselor at the VA was saying, well, just write for therapy. And so I started doing that and turning, you know, this, these therapy sessions into into stories and then stories into books. And it's just kind of been a a good uh, cathartic experience ever since, and that I've just stuck with. And uh, what is your writing process? Do you outline these uh, your books, or do you just kind of write by the seat of your pants? 
I'm a bit of a pantser, so I have a rough idea of where the, I know where the series is going to start, and I know where the series is going to end. Now, how I get to that end um, is a little left up to my own devices. Um, so each book I sit down and I say, all right, chapter, I, I write down the different chapters, and I write down usually uh, anywhere from two to four uh, major things I want to cover in that chapter. And I'll write out all the chapters like that. And then I'll look at the whole outline and say, okay, this is what we're covering here, here, and here. Sometimes I'll move some things around. Um, now, obviously, the story can change as you're writing it. And you may realize you need to insert a new scene or insert a new chapter to help make it flow. But generally, that's kind of how I write. I don't have a very strict, like, 10-page outline like some authors do. And I'm very rigid on how I follow this whole thing. I recognize that a story needs to flow and go the way it needs to go to be successful. And so I run it that way. What do you use to, to write your books? Do you use like Word or another yeah, software? I'm a Microsoft guy. I just, you know, I could never, I used a, a MacBook Pro for work one time and I, I had that for, for, you know, a year. It's not that I had anything against it. Um, I was just more comfortable using Microsoft Word and the, uh, just the Microsoft systems. I just use PC systems, to be honest with you. It's not that I have anything against the Macs. It's just the Macs are really expensive. Mm -hmm. And when I was writing on a budget, I just couldn't afford them. And now that I'm so used to using PCs, it's just the thought of converting to a Mac is just... (laughs) I don't want to lose productivity. I don't want to lose two or three months when I'm trying to figure out those new computer systems. I just want to keep plugging away. Yeah, that's like I said. You got your you got your process down, so yeah, I wouldn't want to mess with it either. <laughs> uh, what's a typical writing day for you? What's the like when you sit down to write? Uh, what's your day like? Sure. So, all right. So, like on a Monday morning, I'll get up at um, five o'clock. I'm out the door at five thirty to go to the gym. Hit the gym for an hour. Come home. Um, I usually will take my my one of my kids to uh, school. I come back and I start work at eight eight thirty. And then I'll try to write for probably a good like six, seven hours and then take a, a couple a couple hour break to spend time with the kids. Um, right now, my daughter, my one-year-old's a little fussy at dinner. So I take her for a 45-minute walk while my wife makes dinner and then the other kids could eat dinner uh, with her. And me and my daughter get to spend some time together on a walk and then come back home. And once they're down for bed, usually I'll try and get another couple hours of writing. So typically... I try to get between seven and, and 10 hours of work done per day. And that's usually six, at least six days a week, sometimes seven. Um, because I look at it this way, this is a startup. This is a startup business. I'm going to grind and grind and grind for five or six years to get this business to a certain income threshold and a certain number, a certain volume of books and audio books done. And then I can start to slow down a little bit. But until I hit that certain level, right now I'm in the building phase of building the business and acquiring readers. And I, I, I just got to push hard to do that because I know if I push hard doing this for basically my first five to seven years of building this business, I'm going to have an enormous payoff down the road and I'm not going to have to work quite as hard at this. But if I, I, I slack off now, I'm just going to make it, it's just going to be very hard to hit that plateau, you know? And doing, and writing too. I mean, that's, uh, it, it takes so much uh, mental wise, you know, kind of like a, like you, I like how you you compare it to like a startup, like those techie guys who are like programming for like, you know, <laughs> 20 hours yeah. a day, basically. <laughs> 
what it is. You know, you have a series like each of my books. I write series. I don't write individual books because series is how you make money. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually it's about a five to six book series. Um, you figure if it takes you, say, two months to write a book and there's six books in the series, that's going to take you 12 months to write that series. And then you're going to have to go through some different editing processes and periods as well. So that's why one series, when I start a series from start from the first release to the last release, it's usually 18 months. So that's the world you kind of live in for that period. But once that first book is done, like when I finished the Fallen Empire series, when book five was done of that series, I was already working on book three of the science fiction series I was already planning to release over the fall. So as soon as one series has ended, I literally am starting in on the next series and working on cranking it out. So by the time one series ends, I'm usually two to three books or more into, the, into creating the next series. So it's ready to roll. And that way there's literally no gap, no break. I can I roll one audience, my entire audience from one series into the next series and, and into each of those books. And if I can continue to carry that over and do that, you can make a very good income because I'm not having to remarket and retarget those readers. Because if you know 30 to 40% of those readers finish a book and roll into the new series, that saves me from having to retarget them. I don't have to go find them again. Yeah, I love it. I love how you're like uh, 18 months ahead. So you're not, because that's not that feeling when you're like behind and you got to get the, you, you know, you only get the book out and you stress yourself out. I mean, not that, you know, what you're not yeah. doing is stressful, but yeah, I love it that you're so advanced, high advanced already. Uh, we're planning your next series or your next books. <laughs> well, you're only as good as your last book. You're only as yeah. good as your last series. So you got to keep, you got to keep them going. And my wife and I both have graduate degrees. You know, I went to Oxford and uh, I owe a lot of student loans. So <laughs> I want to get those paid off. And uh, that means you got to write some more books. So I'm quite motivated to, to get that taken care of. So the Monroe, uh, the first the volume one of the Monroe Doctrine is out on January 29th, like we said. And then uh, what's next? Uh, what are you working on now? What's uh, coming out next? So we got book one comes out on the 29th. We got book two coming out on March 30th. Uh, I don't have book three up just yet, but it will probably get released in the summer, early summer. And then in the early summer, we also have book four of our science fiction book coming out as well. Um, so we've got quite a few that we've got a lot of irons in the fire, a lot of different things going um, right now. There's another new series I'm working on with another author. He was one of my beta readers another veteran uh, that kind of got him into writing as PTSD therapy. And now he's written, uh, he's published three books and we're working on a joint book on an alternate history of the Gulf War. Mm-hmm. What if Saddam had not stopped in Kuwait and decided to invade Saudi Arabia? Um, and so I'm working on this series with him. He was actually a battalion commander in the 101st Airborne in that war. So he has firsthand uh, accounting of it. Um, and we've got the first book done. He's halfway done with book two, and we're going to start releasing the, that that series over the summer. Uh, we actually have uh, uh, General David Petraeus is going to write us a, a forward and a review for the book. Um, him and uh, Matt went to uh, War College together, so they're they're friends and know each other. And oh, wow. we're really looking forward to releasing our series together like that. So it's just going to be a three book series, but uh, it'll be quite fun to write. Yeah, that that sounds like that sounds yeah. awesome. And it's so cool how that uh, it's helped you guys uh, with the uh, the PTSD and all that. That's just uh, amazing yeah. and so cool. 
Um, so yeah, so thanks. So, problem is, you know, the is when veterans have a mission and a purpose when they're in the military and when you're overseas. Yeah. And then when you come home, you suddenly don't have that mission, that purpose anymore. And that's when the PTSD strikes really bad mm-hmm. um, because they've lost that mission, that purpose. But if we can give them a new mission, a new purpose, you know, writing books, creating cool content, creating stuff their kids want to read or friends want to read. But more than that, they actually can make money and support their families with this, like make enough money to buy a car and pay your mortgage and go on a vacation. They start to develop a new sense of purpose, a new mission in life. And when you can give them that, their PTSD symptoms will start to um, become more manageable and controlled. And ultimately, I think it's one of the more effective ways to combat veteran suicide because you are given that mission, that purpose. And so for me, I'm trying to help other veterans do that. So I've got three veterans that I'm mentoring and writing this year. Um, My goal is to work with just a couple of them at a time, teach them how to fish, get them fishing and being productive. And then, uh, you know, they can go off on their own, being able to support themselves and do that. And then if this work, this process works out, then I'll take on a couple more and I'll continue to perpetually do this over time. In addition to working and publishing my own works. That is is fantastic. So cool. Um, Love that. Um, So where can the listeners find you? Is there a a website or what's the best place for them to to find you? Yeah. So, we have a couple of things. You could either look us up on uh, frontlinepublishing.com. You can find us there. You can find us uh, on Facebook under uh, James Rizone and Miranda Watson. Um, and you can also look up uh, James Rizone um, on um, uh, Patreon or Frontline Publishing on Patreon. So we have a Patreon site as well for those who want to help us, who want to provide a financial help with this uh, mentorship program you know, sponsor, uh, sponsor a vet, basically. <laughs> no, love it. <laughs> All right. And I'll have links on the website as well for, for listeners, but uh, yeah, that's awesome. All right. So thank you so much, James. Really enjoyed talking to you about your, your work and, and your service. It was uh, a lot of fun talking to you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and I look forward to talking with you guys again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Meet the Thriller Author. If you have a moment, please do check out thrillingreads.com forward slash links where you'll be able to rate and review this podcast or simply rate this podcast wherever it is that you're listening to it, uh, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Audible, Amazon Music, uh, whichever podcast app you prefer, uh, please take a moment to rate this uh, podcast. It's the best way to help other fans of uh, mystery and thriller books to find the uh, podcast and uh, it helps me get the word out and it's the best way to support the podcast so I do appreciate that and if you're interested you can join my Thrilling Reads mailing list you'll find the uh, sign up form at thrillingreads.com forward slash links once you subscribe for free you'll be notified about discounts and deals on great books in the mystery, thriller and crime fiction genres you'll also find my social media links and my author website over at thrillingreads.com forward slash links so check it out and say hi all right take care and stay safe until we meet again on the next episode of meet the thriller author